One Week Season. WS fam, the nation, my dudes and dudettes, Hilo here, bringing you the 11th installment of the Best Ball Plus Game Theory Podcast. We are joined today by none other than John Warner. You've heard of his name before. He's been on, uh, I believe, twice solo with me and then once as well with uh, Chess Liam, Liam Murphy. And he is back. What I wanted to do there is I wanted to bring him back to kind of um, take a look back at where we've come in the last two months, how we've implemented what we've talked about, and where kind of we're going over these final two weeks of draft season hashtag for all the boys. Uh, with that said, I'm going to bring him in and we're going to go through a quick intro and then dive right in. John, how are you doing today, man? Doing well, doing well. Um, appreciate the call back here. Um, but let's just get this straight, like just right off the hop. The only reason I'm back is because Herzig said he wouldn't do it twice. That's the only reason I'm here. You know, it's the only reason, right? <laughs> That's false. <laughs> that, is, that is false. I had always planned on having you back because um, we kind of, when I, when I was, I guess when this was a brainchild, when this was in development, when this series was, when I was pitching this series, you know, to OWS, this is what I want to do. Uh, can I do this? Please, please, please. Like the first person that came to my mind um, to have on this series was you, which is not just a like a shout out to like our history or, or you know, where we've been, not just the fact that like we, we mesh well and we're able to just kind of shoot the shit for an hour, hour and 15 minutes, whatever the case might be. Just because I feel like you are one of the only other people out there that is exploring these things on their own and being able to talk to you and and hash those ideas out in real time and, and be able to to give the peoples for the peoples, right? Give the people I just kind people. of a yeah, just a glimpse into like the behind the scenes work that is going into trying to create like plus EV situations in such a brand new game is something that I thought was very valuable and something that I wanted to ensure that I pulled out here. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I, um, I'm blushing. I'm smiling ear to ear. I appreciate it. I was just trying to get a quick one liner in there. <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk a little ball, bro. <laughs> You're sitting there. You're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate the kind words. They were flattering. <laughs> but Just even I would want Herzig more. <laughs> no, <I'm> just <laughs> All oh, right, let's classic, run with dude. it, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So we were chatting a little bit before we hit record here, um, and we were kind of chatting about like the state of kind of the this nebulous blob of what is best ball right now. And you brought up a, you brought up an interesting aspect of poker um, mm -hmm. and. Obviously, the, everyone knows, well, everyone should know now at this point, having you on for three or four times, that um, you've been a professional poker player basically for, what, the better part of a decade, right? Even yeah. longer? So, yeah. yeah. And so you were talking about how there are things happening in the poker scene now that like you've, you've felt and you've sensed over your entire career, but they have, they have recently come to light. Like you, you explained this 
new like real time they call it real time assist it's basically a a a tool that you can use in real time when you're playing poker um mm-hmm. obviously the ethics and the i guess the the background viability of that is <laughs> over to interpretation um you and i are very on the side of wtf mate like what are we doing here uh but you explained something that was is being utilized now, which is basically a real-time solver. So it's not just a solver where you go in the streets, you study, and you figure out you know, the percentage outcome solution for different spots. It is basically plugged into your live game when you're playing online and telling you exact frequencies of what to do. Mm-hmm. Talk to me quickly about like your thoughts on that and um, how kind of we need to protect against that in, in best ball. Yeah, okay. so. This is there's there's a lot of good tie-ins here. Um, basically, my detachment on like a personal level is if it happens while I'm playing the game and it's like automated assistance while I'm playing the game, that's completely different than whether it's used as a study tool after the fact, right? For sure. And that's a gray area for a lot of people, and especially like when you're dealing with poker. Like, I mean, you're dealing with whatever there's 250,000 people on GG's platform right now. And like without the United States in there, like how many of them are North American based that have the same quote unquote, you know, whatever, let's just standardize and throw a blanket over like moral compass of whatever, right? Like these rules and these ethics differ from person to person, generation to generation, uh, country to country, so it's very hard to have like this, like one size fits all, like maybe others are just viewing it as the evolution of the game and they don't view it as cheating where we do. Right. Um, but it leaves you in a really weird spot because if you're not using it, you're distinctly behind the field. Right. And we've seen this through, like it started as like HUDs, like Hold'em Manager and Poker Tracker mm-hmm. and that sort of thing where it was overlay software, right? And we're starting to see that in best ball now where mm-hmm. like, you know, Brick has introduced this HUD that, you know, Herzig's using that one and Spike Weeks introduced another HUD that a bunch of people are using and whatnot. And it shows, you know, the percentage of your own portfolio overlaid your window right so in real time now all these memory-based things that i used to have to challenge myself with like oh yeah how many uh combinations of justin fields and cole Komet do i have how many do i have independently what are their you know week 17 correlations i don't even have to memorize that anymore because i have this tool that's just showing me the information so is that a leg up on your competition absolutely is it unethical no not yet but I mean, we could push into that territory someday when it becomes further automated and the software is making picks for you or whatever. So yeah. um, I think what happened in poker is it went from you had nothing, then you had these overlay technologies in like the HUDs, then the HUDs became very, very dialed where instead of looking at three statistics, now at the click of a button, we have 50 statistics in Mm -hmm. real time. And -hmm. then they were session dependent and then they were, you know, player dependent and whatever, right? They weren't just overarching tendencies. And then that pushed into, okay, we have solvers, but we can only use them after the fact when we input our hand histories into said solvers. So that would be like, hey, after this season, we're going to take all these best ball entries that we had, and then we're going to funnel them into this machine. And that machine's 
going to spit out some answers to tell us whether we were right or wrong, right? And I think that will be the next iteration of best ball. And then when you push one step beyond that, it's moving that machine into real time. Mm-hmm. Now we're blurring some lines. And what happened in poker is to combat that right after kind of like they cut the US out of the player pool to combat that a bunch of these sites went no HUDs. You're not allowed. If we detect any form of software on your machine, you're banned instantly. And it was kind of great. It was kind of blissful again because it reverted basically the time loop 10 years because it was like, and I'm not talking necessarily in softness or game conditions. It just became organic again. And it was like, wow, we're not getting cheated in scenario. Um, yeah. Anyways. So blah, 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 yeah. long story short is I, I just think that the best possible thing that best ball, and this is no slight to, I love the tools that these guys are creating. I think one of the best things that best ball could possibly do is either integrate their own tools on the platform. So they're accessible for all. So yeah. there's no, so there's no differentiation between the haves and the have nots and creating a further divide, um, which in theory is more plus EV for the hardo players. But I, I'm in favor of the game lasting longer opposed to me being more profitable, like on just on personal level. And I think more people should be inclined to feel that way, but that's a completely different story. I, I just think the best thing we could possibly do is nip it in the bud before it starts and kind of thrust animate or thrust automation, like, completely to the side and make it a, a full fledged through and through peer to peer only study after the fact tools. Right. Um, yeah. That's just kind of where the tangent took us when we were thinking about it earlier. Yeah. And last, last week we actually did have that, that man you mentioned earlier, Justin Herzig on, and mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about this and, and kind of, uh, I mentioned the, you know, the committee that was stood up to kind of uphold the the integrity of the game for poker. And and he mentioned, you know, that now is the, the time to kind of have these discussions right in the game of, or I guess, in the realm of best ball, because it, it is something that can develop into a, a situation where it's out of hand rather quickly. Right. Um, yeah. And policing that is is very difficult. Like how there's, there's, I guess there's two facets of that, right? There's like the collusion facet because you have like 12 random, well, 12 people who are joining one draft at one time. And if you get three of them who are clicking the button at the same time, entering the same draft, obviously that is a, a, a big issue in and of itself. We've seen it in poker, um, you know, back in God, back in like the, what was it? The 2003, 2004 era during like in the, initial stages of the poker boom following you know like the money maker era yeah. um you had six seven different sites that you could play on their uh online poker that is and the regulate regulatory actions on those sites was sparse to none um, right so you had collusion left and right and you, one thing that you brought up in our little chat prior to this was that it's happening still and it's it's happening very egregiously and and policing those actions as well as you know the software or the the real-time assistance um it's a very niche situation because you have to first define what is okay and what is not with these programs and these softwares and these overlays and all that stuff and then you have to be able to implement a way of of policing it and and 
and fixing it if you find it. So yeah, there's a, a long way to go, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And I, one obviously- thing, one thing that I'll say to that is just that I don't think anyone's watching the games like on a micro level as strongly as I am. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't mean that like versus the 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 pool and stuff like that. I mean that from the company side. Like, if I was on the inside of a poker um, network, or if I was on the inside of Underdog, for instance, and I had access, like backend access, to like all these drafts and whatever, I, and going through and looking at people's teams and stuff. Like, I I think I could like just manually, like it'd be a lot of labor, but like I could sniff out and see, okay, this, this looks a little funny here. And this looks well, we'll keep an eye there. I don't think they have anybody even, I don't even think they have the thought that someone should be doing that at this point in time. Like they're just putting these contests out there and whatever, because like, I'm not saying that there's been some weird things happened in the past and they've been very upfront about it. And they've been like, okay, yep, we're going to handle this. And they've handled it very well up until now. Um, not not to imply that they haven't yet, but like just up until this point. But I think it's going to become more readily apparent going forward. And I think someone should be watching these games as intently as the players are mm-hmm. from, the, from the back end. That's all I'd be saying for this point in time. I think I think I would like a little bit. I mean, we're getting deep into the weeds here, but I think I would like a mm-hmm. little bit more transparency because you look yeah. at you know, look at what happened with Tanner Tolbert and um, the potential 300 entries into the Millie Maker, uh, which was, you know, less than a year ago uh, right, when yeah. this happened. What happened with that? Did we ever get any resolution? I know Tanner's still playing on DraftKings. We don't, right. what I'm saying is they're not very good at maintaining transparency with how they're dealing with these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that that's probably platform to platform and provider to provider, but um yeah, it's a it's an interesting discussion, but we uh, I think we sufficiently stamped that one uh, dead. So I want to <laughs> move on. I want to move on to um, kind of like some uh, this like free idea of like oh by the ways, what have okay. we learned? Because I think the last time we spoke was probably about five weeks ago, and then the last time it was just you and I was probably seven weeks ago. So okay. like what what have we what have we learned over that time frame and how are we implementing kind of what we talked about when we started this journey? Um, and then what are we kind of doing to leverage those ideas for this last two weeks during this uh, draft season? Okay. Um, I'd say one, one overarching thing that I've been inherently bad at in the past is, is giving my opponents too much credit. And in some facets it's warranted and and some it's not. Um, I think that the player pool, like quote unquote, collectively has grown sharper, especially in these BBMs. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's collectively growing sharper. I think my approach at the beginning, and I, we kind of knew this at the time was a little niche specific where it's kind of like, yeah, I'm going to come in with these extreme outlier strategies. And then you get in the draft room and it's just kind of like, Whoa, this okay, this isn't lining up with my theory. It's time for me to switch to like a more exploitative mindset. Um, It's like this player that I would allot um, X frequency to draft at the four, three, four turn. uh, He's not supposed to be here and he's here. Mm -hmm. Well, I should probably just take him. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, yeah, I, I probably don't need to think about that one as much as, I was thinking about it from like an overall portfolio standpoint and what up. 
uh, and what else? Um, I think that our exposures sometimes naturally balance themselves over time. I opposed to me having like a clear roadmap of like how I'm going to get to, you know, 18% Justin field, uh, Justin fields. Like, I think those are kind of naturally occurring. Um, I think, I think the games, I, I don't like using like softer or easier. I think they're just different. Um, they're progressively, as we anticipated, getting a little more recreational laden closer to kickoff. And I don't think that's a surprise in any respect. That being said, I think the recreational players with the amount of content and stuff that are that are that's out there now, there are very few like quote unquote punt teams. Like there used to be like last year's BBM, you could point to almost within every draft, you could point to a five quarterback team or, you know, some insane build that just didn't really make sense. That's not so much the case anymore. I think there's a lot of content out there and a lot of quality content out there now that even your barrier to entry is okay. At the very least, I'm going to be in the two, six, eight, two range with my builds. Right. And, um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know how that changes our strategy going forward yet. Um, with them building less outliers, I guess it pushes us in the direction of building more, uh, which is a pretty fun thought. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, for me personally, I've I've been thinking a lot of like some stuff that you've been thinking about, like the combinatorial ownership. Like I think that is going to be the quote unquote buzz word of next year in the same way that we. 17 correlation is the buzzword of this year. I think people are going to be, they're not going to be focused on, you know, total percentage drafted. They're going to be focused on how do my combos look with my other combos? Like it's great if I, I'm just using Justin Fields because it's top of mind, but it's great that, Hey, I was over the field on Justin Fields, but it's not so great that every single one of those was tied to Cole Komet or Mm -hmm. Darnell Mooney or whatever. Yeah. I think it'll be very interesting to talk about players that were targets of people that they wanted to get exploitative and over the field on, and then how they didn't win, even though they were over the field on those players because of the combinations they just repeated over and over again, like Josh Allen and Diggs, or, you know, only taking, Isaiah McKenzie when I had Allen or and all and and rethinking through all these spots. And yeah, I think that would be probably my number one takeaway at this point. Yeah, that's that's interesting that you bring that up because um I am almost done through I call it the the DFS game theory bible. It is a new course nice. that is that is launching this year. Um, I'm trying to get it finished up in the next couple of days, but what I kind of, my aha moment when I was going through and, and putting my thoughts down on paper uh, for this course is that it was kind of this, this realization that we have to be ever changing and ever fluid and ever learning. So mm-hmm. in that sense, this natural progression of field tendencies 
I kind of was balancing that idea with the idea of like getting down into the nitty gritty of game theory in the game of DFS and where do, where's the leverage built and where do the edges come from now when we are, you know, the game of DFS is probably seven, eight years beyond where best ball is. And so like, how do we continue to stay ahead of the field? And I had this realization that it, it isn't enough. Obviously we've talked about this before around OWS, but it, it isn't enough to, start implementing things that the field has already implemented that gets you on par right so we have to continue to push our mental envelope to to try new things to adapt to kind of change how we're viewing things to to keep not only like maintain that edge but extend that edge where possible and in in the game of dfs kind of my my overall conclusion was that this game has developed into a highly, highly exploitative game in the sense that we simply don't have the number of slates to be able to implement a, I'll call it a, a DFS theory optimal mindset. Because we only have the, you know, 18 full slates. We only have, you know, we add afternoon slates, we add primetime slates. Mm-hmm. And then then the the way that I think is the most optimal to I guess, implement this idea of like DFS theory optimal, which I just coined right now. It's not a thing, but I'm, I'm making it up. <laughs> I love it. Let's go uh, <laughs> buy the domain right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, to be able to implement that, you need volume. And yeah. the only way right now in the DFS landscape to get volume in the game of NFL DFS is through showdowns because we have the most in that platform or that that contest type so being able to identify where the biggest edges come from and implement those across different contest types i think is how we probably maintain the edge the most and if we relay that to best ball we simply don't have enough volume you we can draft we could draft a thousand teams each year and we still mm-hmm. wouldn't have enough volume for this idea of now best ball theory optimal to be really utilized in a sense that gives us an idea of if it worked, if it's a profitable theory, if we can continue it, because we're going to need decades upon decades upon decades of data to be able to, and, and playing this like theory optimally to yeah. be able to dissect whether or not it is it is plus EV, it is optimal, it is beating the field, yada yada yada. I think so, I think this is where. Sorry, you finish your thought. Finish. Your no, thought. I think I think that's it. Okay, like, I, I I think this is where uh, baseball has served me beautifully. Um, granted, I love baseball, and so maybe not many people would have jumped in this, but pick golf, pick whatever, just to create that feedback loop for you, like for yourself. Like this is where we we talked about this probably on the very first episode mm-hmm. or whatever. Is it's great that you're doing 150 uh, BBMs or 150 puppies or whatever, right? I do 150 drafts in two days. Because I do 16 of the daytime slate. I do 51 of the primetime slate. I do the $100 single entry. And then I do two of the 15s. So whatever that adds up to, like whatever. And I do that 
I mean, almost every day that I'm free and I'm and I'm playing poker at the same time, I don't always get to max or whatever because it's time consuming. But let's say I, I've I do more drafts in a week than people maxing everything in football do in a year. I think that's mm-hmm. going to create, even though the sport's completely different, I think it's going to create a crazy good feedback loop to apply elsewhere. That's why I think when I think about basketball and everybody, um, maybe it's just because it's the most popular or whatever, people say the word basketball and they assume football. I assume a game type, right? Yeah. Because I think the way in which you beat the game is the exact fucking same from game to game. Like I drafted, I max entered golf last night. I can name seven golfers. Like honest <laughs> to God, like, you know, like I, I learned what a max Homa was last night or Homa or like, I have no idea. Right. Like, I just, whatever. Like here's my 33 entries. Like I, I'm probably going to ship the damn thing. Like, I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm probably not, but uh, my point, my, my point being is that, that, that we're so hyper focused on football specific mm-hmm. when we could learn a lot from just like branching further out. And I think it's going to do wonders for making um, the daily football contests and the drafting of the football contests, just because the player pool is so much bigger on these sites. Now these daily um, snake drafts, they call them on uh on DK and the the daily contests on underdog drafting those, but football specific this year, I think the player pool is going to be way deeper. The prize pools are going to be way greater. And I think a lot of the DFS community is going to be double dipping in both of those, or that's just my overarching sense. And I think this is going to create a way better feedback loop than analyzing, you know, advanced rates of like three years ago, we're going to see in a heartbeat who's, who's good at best ball, not just who's good football adjacent games. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, an extremely, extremely important um, mindset that I want to ensure everybody is kind of uh, everybody takes in because, you know, we've said around OWS for years that this isn't about like your football knowledge. This is a game Mm -hmm. and we're trying to figure out how to maximize our expected value in this game. The yeah. game of best ball, you know, there's, there's like you talked about, there's daily golf, there's, there's baseball. Obviously, now we're into, we're uh, nobody's really talked about this, but NBA best ball has opened, like the draft right, season yeah. for that is open right now. So yeah, there it's, it's this mindset shift away from like the, the field is currently focused on the sport in question, right? The how. How does the how is the sport played? How can I beat it by picking the best players? That's kind of where the field is at in the the game of best ball, right? So that's why bringing my previous discussion full circle is most of the leverage and most of the edge that we can create is being exploitative in those tendencies. Mm-hmm. It's not really it's not about like having this this optimal theory and and sticking to that theory because one like each draft is different so dynamic yada 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 down the line but two like we have to be on our toes and being able to exploit everything from micro level like this player like you described earlier this player is falling uh a round or two in the draft oh i immediately have to shift the entire mindset my entire framework my entire strategy on this build because I introduced a new variable that I had not planned for. And that's what I mean by, by being 
or or being open to exploiting field tendencies in the sense that Be everything dynamic. from yeah everything from micro level to macro level theory can change in an instant in these drafts mm-hmm. and and yeah being able to adjust on the fly and handle those exploit situations is where a, a good chunk of the edge comes from i think i think there are two there are two fatal flaws in basketball there there is number 1 is you come into any given draft, sport, whatever, with a predetermined plan. I think that is a fatal flaw. You mm-hmm. have to, you can come in with the mindset. You have to have all these fundamental pieces in your toolkit. You know, you have to know what, what the zero RB, what the hyper fragile, what the anchor RB, you have to know what these builds and these constructions kind of look like. You have to know that, hey, if I'm going to build this way, maybe I need five running backs. If I'm going to build this way, maybe I need six. If I'm going to build this way, I need three tight end. Like you have to know these fundamental pieces, but you cannot come into a draft room with a predetermined strat. I can't mm-hmm. just go like, hey, I'm coming into this room and I'm going, I'm going zero R. I'm taking Rashad Penny in the fifth. I'm taking like, you know what I mean? Like you, you can't come in with these, with these things. It's the number one flaw in my opinion. I see it every day, like right before lock, you know, guys are trying to jam in some baseball lineups and they just go because the difference between DFS and basketball, like in DFS, when you get contrarian and you go like, Hey, I'm going to go with a really low own stack and I'm going to leave salary on the table. That's that's great. That's a viable strategy for you to win a GPP in DFS. The difference in best ball is the way you build affects my ability to build. Mm-hmm. So if you come into a draft room and you just go, "Hey, like I'm I love uh, who's a like a quote unquote I love the Texans," and you're like, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna build the best Texan stack out there. Not many people are gonna have it," and you go you know, round three and four, you go Cooks and Damon Pierce. And you're like, okay, well, that just opened the door for somebody else in this same draft room to have like a crazy outline type of ownership. And I don't think people, maybe people realize it and don't care, but I think they should care more because Mm -hmm. the moment you walk into my draft room and you go, Hey, I'm making a Tampa Bay Rays stack and you leave me with Trout and Otani on the same team. Well, the product, like the sum ownership of that is 200%, right? Because both those players are hundred percent owned, but Mm -hmm. the product ownership of that is nowhere near that, right? Because it's so damn hard to get. And I think, I think we don't talk enough about the DFS terms of like product own and some ownership comparative to best ball. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think, I think that's one very big area of improvement that needs to come and it'll be talked about a lot. And then you talked about uh, the exploitative nature. We have to have a fundamental understanding of the game before we can get exploitative. And Bingo. one of the ways you one of the ways you can get smashed in these games is just replicating the behavior pattern of others without understanding the fundamentals behind them. Uh-huh. So if if you watch me play a poker hand and you're like, oh, he just always plays Jack 10 suited this way. It's like, no, I always play Jack 10 suited way this way in this hyper specific spot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um I I think 
we kind of get caught up and we watch other people's streams and we watch whatever you watch someone build a team and it's like, Whoa, they took this guy in the 15th round. I should be taking this guy in the 15th round. It's like, no, 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 no. hold on. You should be taking that person in the 15th round based it's given construction based on who was available based on, you know what I mean? So those would be my, my two kind of like biggest, like, I don't know, yeah. overarching thoughts of the, best ball landscape right now yeah and when you when you talk about like we have to i was i'm i threw in a bingo in there because it was like yes that's what i was going to talk about next is like this Mm -hmm. this idea that we have to have the underlying fundamentals of theory to be able to exploit because we have to understand what is happening and what is going on and why is that well we're playing a sequential game what does that mean it's 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 a game where with every draft pick we get more information a snake draft you get 240 pieces of information before the draft is over um, mm-hmm. on, you know, like a, on DraftKings where there's 20 rounds like that. That's a lot of different variables and information to take in. So if we're getting new information with each and every selection, that's it will, and it should bias our decision-making process as that, you know, instance of one draft continues. So um, I yeah. actually, and also I want to, I want to read this excerpt from oh, this. Hold on. Okay, save yeah, the, save the expert for one second because I want to add one thing to that. Yes, sir. I think our overarching mindset we we are so quick to like. I understand this is a fun game and 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 people are out here for a laugh. And trust me, I, I won't, that's what I'm about to. But I think our natural instinct is someone takes uh, I don't know insert player name. Someone takes uh, Tyler Boyd in the third round, and our natural instinct is ha ha, what a dumbass! Ha, this guy's an idiot, right? I think mm-hmm. our mindset should be like one step further than that and be like, okay, maybe Tyler Boyd was like an extreme example, but our mindset should go one step further where it's like, well, who is this player? Why are they doing this? Like, like who is this player as in who is this drafter? Who is this drafter? Why are they doing this? What is the the meta behind this? Are they just clicking buttons? Okay, cool. We can dismiss it. But is it someone that I deem, you know, kind of sharp or has an angle here or you you have to pay attention to these nuances and that's kind of how I'm getting by in sports that I don't really know I go okay well why is this guy always taking this guy in the sixth round let me do a little research on this random golfer right like let me see what what their mindset is don't be dismissive of other people's actions like and don't just blindly replicate them either but let, let's like learn from that little tidbit and that takeaway 100% I'm going to I'm going to read something to you and then I'm going to explain it because you will you but I don't know if listeners will. This is ex- don't throw shade this, on your listeners. They're no, going to understand it. No, this is, <laughs> so this is something that I dove into in this course that I'm I'm writing for DFS that is hyper applicable to the game of best ball. And okay. this is this is an excerpt from the 2016 fall edition of the Journal of Economic Perspectives. And it is a, a an exploration, one of the newest explorations of game theory and its applications um, from uh, just a few years ago. So the quote from, I, w- I want to get these authors right, Drew Feudenberg and David Levine is, for several reasons, most economists have ec- economists have come to think of Nash equilibrium and its variations as arising not from introspection and calculation, but rather from some non-equilibrium adaptive process of learning, imitation, and evolution. What does that mean to you? 
dude, that's over my head. Explain it to me. Like, I'm like <laughs> <laughs> All right. So check this out. So the idea of Nash equilibrium is when a game has evolved to the point where not where individual agents or players cannot gain an edge because everybody is playing optimally. Yeah. Okay. So that, that is Nash equilibrium. These, the theory discussed here by these two authors is that the idea of Nash equilibrium and all of its variations are not due to a natural evolution of the game itself, but from a, the perspective of non-equilibrium processes that are being learned, imitated, and evolved from the participants itself. Right. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. Now that's directly applicable. So this idea of the idea of Nash equilibrium in DFS, in, in best ball, in poker, in chess, in these games where we're starting to see a lot more assistance or solvers or, you know, whatever the case may be, this idea of Nash equilibrium where the ultimate end state of the game is the same for every user or every agent or every player is so far from the truth. But Mm -hmm. there is the potential for us to feel like that as we're playing the game through the processes of adapting, learning, and imitation. So that I had this like, holy shit moment. It was like, dude, that is directly applicable to field tendencies, to how we're managing those, to how we're leveraging those, to like this feeling that like DFS or poker is solved. Like, no, dude, like it's so far from it. It's insane. Yeah. Cause we'll hit this state where like our barrier of knowledge is the exact same as everyone else around us. And we'll feel like quote unquote stuck. We'll be like, oh yeah. Like, no, I just know his range in this spot. Or I know, I know this guy's going to pick this guy before he knows he's going to pick this guy. Right. And it's just like, oh yeah, this is so, this is so dumb. We're just running circles around each other, doing the same thing until you flip your mindset to be like, well, how do I deviate from that to leapfrog that by knowing he's going to know that already. Right. And it just, and it takes you like a layer deeper. So if you're like, I've been doing these, the the daily ones or whatever, Uh, but like take like a baseball analogy. It's like, if I, if I know, if I leave X player on the, on the table at the, at the six, seven turn, I know this person's going to, going to snap this. And I know they're going to do this like every time. Well, don't like just get frustrated about that and be like, Oh my God, I can never build this way. Find a way to build differently based on that. Because as much as you're frustrated that he takes trout and Otani in the six, seven, every single time you leave it to him and it's limiting your combos of, you know, trout plus Otani, it's never available basically like find a different way to beat that and in, like you'll get your trout plus Otani in a different draft or or not when you're playing this player head to head right yeah anyways i just applicable rationale of being like once we're all using the exact same rankings and the exact same builds and the exact same there's still going to be ways to find edges around those field tendencies yeah and I'm going to continue. I want to pull out one more excerpt from this, this course I'm writing because it like the, the applicability to 
to DFS as and best ball is just is uncanny. They continue mm-hmm. by writing, the basic concept of Nash equilibrium describes a situation whose further learning about opponent's strategies is not needed and cannot occur. That is, since everyone is doing the best they can giving the play of the others, nobody will ever discover a better action than the one they are using. So what does this idea of Nash mm-hmm. equilibrium relate to in the game of best ball? Well, it's probably closest relatable to ADP. This okay, I- yeah. yeah, this, yeah. I- this idea that we are confined by the constraints of this average draft position, right? Mm. Uh, yeah, okay. I was also going to say that it, it's the confined by our own mindset of how every build should look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So in the same in the same wavelength is we're defining like equal a state of Nash equilibrium by being like, hey, this draft doesn't have the same EV that it used to because everyone's coming in here and going two six eight two. Yeah, or I can't yeah. build I can't build a zero running back team the way that I used to because the field now knows understands how to do that. Well, it's like, exactly it's like well the field thinks that they know the optimal way to do that. The mm-hmm. field thinks that they can generate leverage by by getting a better snapshot or uh, a a an exposure to a player at a lower ADP. Well, it's like well, right. not not really. There's so much more that goes into it that we have to like understand and be able to adapt to and evolve and and exploit in the sense of like one draft it's just it's kind of like it's almost too i guess vast and the the multitude of combinations is too great to be able to like for us to comprehend it's Mm -hmm. there's just a lot going on that we need to understand and the way that i think we we start building that into our thought processes is understanding like the theory behind how this can work optimally and then being able to stray from that based on additional information, which we get in every draft. Right. Yeah. I love that take. Yeah. I know this course is going to be incredible, man. Like that. If, if that's, <laughs> no, seriously, if that's tip of the iceberg, I, I really enjoy that. I mean, it is, it is um, deep in the weeds and it's, it's for the sickos, man. It's for the hardos out there because like, I'm, I'm digging that because you're, you're, you're taking, you're taking extreme concepts and then reverse engineering their applicability to a game that we all love. That's low key bro science. Right. So um, yeah, it's, yeah, that's, that's cool, man. I really like that. I hope I didn't offend anybody that was listening. It was like, you're not going to understand this. It's just, this is like, this is not, I didn't even fucking understand (laughs) it. This is like the newest of new in game theory exploration. And it took me a week of sitting on this and chewing on it to be like, how can I apply this to a game that is so new and in in its infancy? So uh, I apologize. Or just tell me like I'm five. All right. <laughs> shit yeah, uh, awesome it. awesome uh, yeah, what yeah, do you say, uh, let's talk a little uh, football bro shit why don't yes. we talk a little a little hand in the dirt stuff yeah so we are about three months three and a half months into best ball draft season right yeah now we have this last final like two week push until rosters lock i guess it's god wait yeah it's two weeks from today Today's Thursday, right? Thursday, yeah. Yeah. It's literally, uh, yeah, September 8th, uh, whatever it is, 340, whatever. Yeah. Yes, sir. So we have two weeks left in our in our life cycle of 2022 best ball draft season. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about some currently present, you know, stuff that is important to us right now. 
Um, sure. How are you handling like some of these major? <clears throat> oh my god, I'm losing my voice. How are you handling some of the major risers and fallers? Um, first, in a contest that is has the draft window has been open the entire time, like BBM or the DK Millie. And then I want to transition that discussion to these onesie twosies contests that have opened up later, like the puppy, like the palm, like the, uh, the DK single entry, like the DK three max. Uh, and I want to see where that takes us. I haven't done the, I'm waiting on the singles and the three. Um, I'm not going to do the 2100, whatever, like the 72 entry single with 20, that's 2100 bucks. I'm not going to do that one on DK, but I'll do the the 200. I'll do the tens and I'll do the whatever. Um, yeah, I, I I think, I think if you want to talk macro just for one second, our strategy should greatly differ from the single entries. I think your single entries, um, though they shouldn't be drafted similar to like a home league because there's no replacement value and you can't grind the wire and you can't do this sort of thing. They shouldn't be as insane as our like BBM three builds. Like I won't be building, I won't be building any like two, three, 11, two or whatever, like stuff like that. I just say numbers and hope. Yeah. That I hope, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that, that adds up to eight, that adds up to 18, right? Yeah. Crushed it. <laughs> yeah. You do so many of these things and you just sort of say like, Oh yeah. Um, no, anyways, uh, like I won't be building that just because, um, we don't need to strive for such an extreme outlier in a contest. That's only like 2000 people or the $10 ones. I think 11,000 people in those two on the DK ones. Like we don't need to strive for like such insane outliers and how I would apply that to like the palm and stuff like that is I maxed all those palms where I just like clicked the maximum amount of slow drafts and then just did a couple fasts. Actually, one of the palms was pretty fun. I did all 15 at the same time that morning because I was hopping on a, a ferry and stuff and going to a, like a wedding and I knew I wouldn't have reception. So I just sat at the computer and I did 15 at once. It was straight chaos. <laughs> it was so fun. That's so um, degen, dude. Oh, dude, it was so degen. But it was so, it was so fun to just try and do. I saw yeah. someone... I remember I saw someone stream it after and try and do that for the next palm too. And yeah. I was like, Oh my God, I should have streamed that. would have been hilarious. Yeah. Um, geez, Dude, uh, Liam, Liam did 50 at once. Oh my stream. God. Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. that's crazy. Okay. That puts me in a body bag. That's, that's that. I mean, that's just, that might just be lighting it on fire. I mean, that's that must insane, be lighting dude. it on fire, but like, that's crazy. Hashtag for I mean, the content. Really, yeah, no doubt. Holy. Yeah, hope he gets mega mega views, get some revenue off of those to pay for the fight. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably going to bink with the, with one of those. Oh, dude, guy's a sun runner. He's yeah, uh dude. he's getting home. Um yeah, anyways, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, no, no, no. Let's talk about uh yeah, we were talking about some risers and falls yeah, so, and stuff and oh, adjusting as the contest window from contest to contest. Yeah. Um you mentioned I, I used to be uh, hold on. Well, well, well yep. I got one thought right here. Yep. Um, I used to be super timid about the oh, someone else has this build with that player at a better value. So those super risers, like we haven't had any like quote unquote insane injuries in camp, like knock on wood, like that have done the um, Gus Edwards thing from last year where like yeah. Dobbins is done and Edwards jumps to like the third or fourth round. I think I still would have been 
if I could replay that this year, I think I still would have been kind of in on Edwards. Whereas last year, like I just kind of ended up fading. It's like, Oh, that doesn't make sense. He just jumped from guys are going to have him 15 round versus like whatever. But I wasn't thinking of like the quote unquote uniqueness of build or like the product own, right? Like I was thinking of just the fact that, Oh, he's going to be owned a lot, but I wasn't thinking about the way in which he'd be owned. Yeah. Right. Um, which I think has changed my mindset a little bit in being less scared of the quote unquote ADP riser crowd. That being said, I have a threshold for everything as well. And I won't be taking, you know, certain players that have jumped three or four rounds that I don't deem them warranted of. Right. Yeah. Because if, if we use that same example of, of um, last year with Baltimore's backfield, there mm-hmm. obviously there were teams that had uh, the I guess the the thought process at the time was like I had to have Gus Edwards right it was like if I didn't have him by now like I I shouldn't take him because there are these teams that had him in the seventeenth eighteenth round right. now he's going in the you know then he jumped up to the thirteenth round it's like well I still can't take him because he's jumped five rounds well then he jumped all the way up to the fifth and sixth round it's like well yeah now I'm definitely not taking him right um, yeah. But if you think about how those rosters had him on their eight, you know, if they had him in the 17 to 18 rounds, he was likely the RB5. He was likely the RB6 of these rosters, right? So if you want to still like get exposure to that, that specific situation, you can do so and build him on rosters as like your RB1. Like if he, if he mm-hmm. hits, like I want him to hit hard and I'll just ha- wait and build them on these, you know, as my RB one. So there are different ways that you can fold into and build differently than the field, because there are still so many things that have to go right on those rosters that have them in the 17th, 18th round. If he is, if he is one piece that goes super right, like I still kind of want some exposure to that. Right. I'm just going to do it in a different way. So, um, yeah, I agree with that, that thought process. I think that my, my mindset on that has evolved as this year's draft season has kind of played out. Um, yeah, I think that's where I'm at right now as well. Mm-hmm. I want to talk real quickly and throw it back to the idea that you brought up about um, how you would handle these onesie, twosies, these single entry, these three max contests. How, like, per theory, we would not need to accept as much variance in those. And that is a full hard agree from me. Mm-hmm. However, I've been in those streets, I've done the uh, the 200 single entry on DK, the $12 single entry on DK, which is now sold out. The Now the $9 three max just opened yeah, they on got, DK. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they got the $10 single entry. So I've done those and I have a very small exposure, right? I've done five of those drafts because that's all the contest single entry that have been offered um, yep. thus far. But what I have seen in those drafts is people are hyper aware of variance and they are staying away from it to the point where it that that idea of exploitation i've taken on so much variance in those drafts because people are just not and that is again i have this tiny little exposure and tiny little snapshot in the in the field tendencies but i think when i was thinking about this and and kind of developing how i'm going to attack those contests when I was thinking about it, it was like, well, I guess that can be largely applicable to the field, even though I've only seen it like three, four, five times. Um, right. But that said, like the theory, and that's what I, I we t- 
talked about earlier was like, the, we have to know the theory before we can exploit. The theory, 100%, is like, I don't need to accept as much variance because the the finals in these contests is 27 or 30 people. You know, it's not not 700 and, and or what is it? 769 people as the, the Millie maker. Like, yes, yeah. but it's still like one of 12 advance in week 15. It's still one of 12 advance in week 16. The, right. the three max is different in that it's two of 12 advance in round in week 15, but then you're back to one of 12 advancing in week 16. So while it is true, theoretically, we don't need to accept as much variance in those contests. We still have to get to the finals in the same manner or in a similar manner as these, the Millie or as the BBM. So mm -hmm. there is, I think, an exploitative stance that we can take in the sense that if the field is like taking this, if the field is at a point now where they understand that we don't need to accept as much variance based on the finals of those contests, well, it's like, well, okay, well, a lot of those are probably going to burn out in weeks 15, 16, because they are too conservative. So right. I kind of took that exploitative stance in those contests, I think. I think I really like that. Yeah. I mean, like maybe this is the difference between you being in the weeds right now in those contests and me not, um, because my knee jerk reaction was kind of the opposite. Right. But, yeah. um, yeah, I, I, I see it because I play the single entry, like the single hundred entry for baseball every day where like, yeah, everybody is the way they build in those contests versus the $5 and the $15 every day is completely different. They're just like, okay, who's the highest base projection, blah, blah, blah. Um, the thing that's different in football that I would say is buying floor doesn't exist because like both the injury threshold and this contest is like elongated over the course of a season. So structuring yourself to play a contest like that, quote unquote, safely doesn't exist in my opinion. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so, so to go in with like this, like safety mindset, that's not really what I was implying. Not that you implied yeah, that, I was implying yeah, that. Yeah. but like, um, yeah, I, I I totally agree with taking on like the variance where we deem intelligent. I guess. Yeah, I, I I think I'd be like, I'd be less likely to build um crazy onslaught stacks, for instance, where yeah. like they're deeply correlated because I'm not going to need that insane correlation to win a 30 man contest in week 17. I think that's where my mindset's is different. Whereas, you know, some of these BBM entries where I'm going like two, three, 11, two with, uh, five pieces from the same game in week 17, like, okay, like that's, yeah, that, that ain't a thing in these single entries. That's kind of just where my mindset is, is I think I would steer, I would steer clear of super extremes, I guess. But I would just wanted to say that buying floor isn't a thing yeah yeah opinion. for sure it's yeah. actually it's funny that you said that because i i did that and <laughs> i think it was the uh the dk3 max the nine dollar um okay. where i went uh it was like brady mike evans um julio gage and with dj Moore and robbie anderson so it was like this like okay. week 17 like mega 
Um, yeah. because I just saw that no one was doing it again. My exposure is, I like, mean, that's, that that's, that's fair. I mean, like in a contest like that, where like, especially like the lower the price point, like the more extreme the player yeah. pool tendencies tend yeah. to be. So yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think it's bad by any stretch. I just think it's like, you've kind of pigeonholed yourself a little bit, but I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that, especially if you have three entries, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah I, I, I just, I, I don't think that's the strategy. I'll have to sit down and like think yeah, more about it it's... before I actually <laughs> do these drafts. Cause I'm going to do them. I, I plan on doing them this week or next. Like I'm kind of like, I'm kind of pretty far behind because I've been doing so much baseball stuff and been away a bunch, but I'm, I just jumped in like a whole bunch of slows. I'm number one guy in the world. Who's like, slows are awful and they ruin your life and now i'm just like oh my god i'm in 50 slows <laughs> but yeah, yeah this anyway. another piece of you draft single entry contest and i think yeah, like the the like my mindset was like not based on like time of day or like who when are the sharps drafting it was more of like i think i want to be first or last interesting I think, okay I think I want to be like the first in those contests because like yep. the draft window isn't as wide as, as the BBM. Or yep. I think I want to be the, like the last draft before kickoff. And I was cool. trying to like play through that. Like where would the most edge be? And I think it's probably at the extremes. I don't know. I hadn't worked through it all the way, but that was kind of my initial thought. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I'll tell you what I do with the baseball contest because I yeah. do that one every day is it's 24 hour draft window and yeah, I do kind of take like a barbell mindset, but it's entirely slate dependent. If I see a player who's projected as a zero projection or who's really low in the ADP, who like it doesn't make sense to me, I'll draft that shit right away so that I can get a unique combination of a guy that's going to push ADP. Like granted, the player pool is significantly more narrow and there's only 36 people in each player pool. But if I see or 36 players in the player pool, mm-hmm. um, if I see like, you know, Aaron Judge had a rest day on Tuesday, so he's projected for a zero on Wednesday. I'm draft. I'm jumping in the first draft possible, and I'm trying to get Aaron Judge with another first round component that I couldn't get elsewhere. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I'm waiting almost exclusively to the end till I have all the weather information. I have the lineups in my hand. I have. And I have maximum like projection value based on their lineup slot and their whatever. So I think a long way of saying I agree with your assessment that the extremes are probably optimal. Yeah. Um, I've had good success in those contests doing that, but I would say for football, I'm not entirely sure. I think for baseball, it was it it made a lot of sense to me to be slate specific. I think in football, you have a greater case. Um, for just being on the extremes, no matter what, right? Like opposed to it being slate specific. Yeah. And I guess the, the preface of, of kind of everything that we've talked about today, and you've heard John and I go kind of back and forth here is like, this is all theory. Like this is all theoretical. Mm -hmm. We have no idea what's right, but what we're trying to do is just place ourselves in like the quote unquote optimal position to leverage as much of the edge that we see where we can. And so yeah. this is like, this discussion is like, is probably a lot of, you know, a probably a small portion of the field has thought about these things or, you know, let alone implemented them. So, mm-hmm. um, it's that Bruce Lee shit, man. Be like water or whatever. Yeah. Whatever that guy said, you know, like, we're just <laughs> like yo, this, 
<laughs> yeah, whatever that guy said, you know? No, but it's like, <laughs> be like, be fluid to the process, right? Where, you know, sometimes it's going to be optimal to be early. Sometimes it's going to be optimal to be late. Like, this is a constant feeling it out process. And, you know, that's quote unquote, the strongest survive because of it. But like, yeah, we just constantly have to be feeling this stuff out. Like we talked about it in literally episode one, like don't be binary in your takes and your decision-making. Nothing's absolute, nothing's zero or one. Like this isn't an exact science. There isn't a right answer, a wrong answer that's definitive. Like we have to find ways to progressively evolve and talking through it is just a portion of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like we want people to disagree. We want people to share their feedback, jump in here. But have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Like, I'm not going to be dismissive. You're not going to be dismissive of it. It's going to yeah. be like, oh, yo, okay. Yeah, that's a new variable we can add to our to our tool basket and keep moving around. Yeah, yo, d- dude, I called it a tool basket. Like I've never done any, <laughs> any fucking manual labor in my life. I just called a toolbox a tool basket. Holy shit. Put me in a body bag. Oh my God. Show me yeah, your hands, dude. If you do have calluses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's not a single one. There's like, you know, one guitar finger from like, like 10. <laughs> you got pretty hands, man. Yeah, man. From a baseball bag. I got calluses from a baseball bat. That's it, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. I love incredible. it. I think I think we're gonna end on that because yo, yo. <laughs> no, no, no. Yes. Let me redeem myself. Let me redeem myself. Yo, All let's right, actually let's actually talk five minutes, five more five right. more minutes. Okay. You got five minutes? Yeah. Let's talk it. a couple of these ADP things because I wrote a couple of them down that I want to just like like I just want to like gloss over like uh an overview thing. Okay. Yes, please let's um, do it. Let's talk about the the Jefferson flipping cup and the CMC flipping JT. Like mm-hmm. just as an overarching theoretical from the front end of a draft, does it change your exposure portfolio, your builds? Does it do anything of that for you or does it even matter? I would say, you know, I haven't really sat down and thought about this because by the time mm-hmm. that happened, I was done with, with BBM. Um, yeah, fair enough. But applying those, I mean, Applying that idea across my entire portfolio obviously matters because um, I have still drafts to do on other platforms. But I think my personal threshold for that um, discussion is really driven into how I was handling those four picks at the front of the draft to begin with. Um, In the sense that I was very vocal about calling JT a fraud 1.01. from the beginning because just the 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 profile of the team where each of JT CMC Cup and Justin Jefferson were on and how I thought that those offenses would run this upcoming season I think just the ceilings on on CMC on Justin Jefferson on Cup was so much greater and kind of just blew JT out of the water. And we're talking okay. just theoretical ceiling that mm-hmm. I pulled a I pulled a fade on JT. I, I think I have two total shares across 250 drafts so far. Whoa. Um, yeah, yeah that's, so I mean, that's yeah. That is So uh, what would you do? Would you take would you like kind of randomize Cup or Jefferson at two when CMC went one? Or like yes. what, what what was your okay. Yes. Yeah, no, um, yeah, okay. That led that to interesting because 
Sorry, that's interesting because like in the very beginning when we were talking about like you had that stance and whatnot and you were talking about that in my very early kind of like takes on one-on-one was kind of like full-fledged randomization with a slight tier gap to CMC. So it was like 64% CMC and then progressively down all the way to like the 105 where like even Jamar Chase had like, I don't know, I think it was like 1.3% or whatever. And I never rolled it. Um, Anyways, it it was just, yeah. Okay. That's very interesting. Okay. Yeah. You ended up with an exploitative stance on like so early in the, in the draft. Yeah. And it was just a, it was just a, a case of identifying theoretical ceiling for me personally. And, (laughs) and so I wanted to, I knew that the only way of truly going over the field on, on CMC and cup and Justin Jefferson, because I was, fairly certain that they were going to maintain the top four slots. Yeah. Um, I knew that the only way to really, really increase the leverage on those three guys was to pull, eliminate one of the variables. And that's kind of just what I did. Um, again, I have no idea if that's going to work. It probably CMC and Justin Jefferson and cup are going to miss week 17 and it's, and it's going to drown me and J- JT is going to go for 400 yards and <laughs> 17 <laughs> touchdowns. But, uh, <laughs> because, because this game is so sick that we're playing. Oh um, yeah. But yeah, that was kind of just how I handled that particular instance. And it's something that I've, I've carried from the beginning. Um, so I think the way to, for me personally, to maximize the leverage is to continue along that path, even though ADPs have flipped. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. I got a couple more here. Hertz and Kyler have flipped, which mm-hmm. is like, I, I think it's kind of mad, but like, it's also kind of like, I like Kyler a lot more. So yeah. it's, I, I've just kind of been buying a lot of Kyler. I think he's like my second or third highest exposed player. He's my second highest exposed quarterback for sure. Um, yeah. Anyways, I, I don't know if there's anything necessarily there. I just thought it was interesting to point out. Um, the Kenneth Walker penny one looks kind of nice right now for your penny bags. eh? Yeah. Yeah, where it's like you kind of took the um, ambiguity of that backfield, embraced it, took a stance, and now you're going to be way over the field in what looks like an optimal spot. So I thought that was, you know, like I don't like to be results oriented, right? But like it's just something that's progressively working in your favor right there. That's kind of cool. Um, How'd you handle the Kamara fall? Like were you snatching that up or were you done (laughs) by then or what? I think I got three or four BBMs with mm-hmm. the CMC Saquon Kamara start. Oh, okay. yeah. So I was, Dude. I was hammering that hard. I was hammering That's it real hard. Fun. Yeah. Cause as soon as he started falling that 30 range, like, yeah, it was conceivable that you could get him on the front end of the third. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think he, Dude, it was he was 35 in, was the furthest his ADP drop. Maybe 36. I, Dude, I think I, it was 37 or 39 somewhere dude it was like it was like back half of the third and so Mm -hmm. i was taking him front half of the third to pair with my cmc saquon star and it was like this is never going to be possible again like Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter to me like the results of that like if the video drops and if if kamara gets suspended in the middle of the season yeah like i just wanted to like it's such a sick build that you can't yeah i fully agree with that yeah, so I was pretty heavy hitting Kamara in the third, all over the third. Um, he was just like my third round pick for about a week, you know, ten days during that whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. 
I think I, I, so I didn't take any Camara other outside of that window. So oh, okay. my overall yeah. BBM exposure was only like 11%, but it was like all third round. That, yeah, that's where we're talking about the difference between total exposure and combinatorial, right? Like it's yeah. like, oh yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd way rather have 11% Camara and it all be baked into a CMC um, and, and Saquon build than to have 18% of them, but I'm buying him at like the 109, right? Or I'm buying yeah. him at the, at the 204. Yeah. And it's That's, this idea of exploitation is not just all like roses, roses and tulips. Like I have no, of thir- course. Yeah. I have like 34% Gronk in BBM. So it's like, <laughs> right. I have misses. Like they are. Yeah. There. I have 28, I have 28% <laughs> Will Fuller. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like that, that still could play out, but like, I still have 28% Will Fuller right now. Like, yeah. Cause it was just kind of like, Oh, Will Fuller's there in the 18th through 16th over and over again. Okay. I'm just going to like, take them till there's reason not to basically. Yeah. That, that idea of disproportionate upside and leveraging the unknowns. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. But then you have the other end with Isaiah McKenzie as well. So then it's kind of like, okay, like we're just going to backdoor our way into some form of builds here as guys rise and fall. Right. Yeah. Um, yo, one thing that I haven't really heard many people talk about that I'm like kind of intrigued by is like a Lamar holdout. Like, is that a thing? Yeah, I that's I don't think it will ever come to fruition, but I saw somebody uh-huh. talk about Lamar not running as much because he's protecting his future, which uh, I thought interesting. was super interesting. Yeah. Um I started doing like like Lamar uh Bateman Duvernay Megas because of yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um because I was yeah, like, where oh, they well. go full uh what was his name last year? Uh, Trey McSorley, where they were just like slanging it over and over again. Like they're trailing every game. And it was like a 38 pass attempt game from like their third string quarterback. Yeah. (laughs) So like that, that's an interesting like thought. I I don't know how, how viable it is to actually happen, but, but thinking Mm -hmm. about those things is, is a definite interesting thought experiment and, and something I hadn't thought about. So I was like, all right, I'll throw a couple at this, like, Baltimore passing game, even though I, I think they're going to regress back to the the norm for them, which is 26, 27 pass attempts a game. But what if it's not type thing? Right. Exactly. All right. We should probably wrap this up, but I got, yeah. I, I, I had a couple more here, but I let's hit two, two fallers. I want to talk about Traylon and I want to talk about uh, Antonio Gibson. Yeah, dude. So I was at like 28% Traylon before the fall. So you can imagine where that's, gone up to (laughs) yeah Um, yeah you just kept scooping kind of deal yeah and that's it's interesting because one of the other fallouts from that jt discussion was i also eliminated derrick henry from my first round player pool um yeah and again that's it's more exploitative um Mm -hmm. and in amplifying my leverage generated from doing that i'm very heavy like Michael Pittman, I'm very heavy. Uh, Robert Woods, Traylon Burks, Austin Hooper, um, mm-hmm. the uh, Ryan Tannehill. He's like yeah. my highest owned quarterback, other than Fields. So it's like, how do I? If I'm taking that stance early, what am I betting on? Well, I'm betting on either an injury or them underperforming based on their role. So if that is the case, what succeeds in that instance? And it's like, well, the pass attacks probably are outperforming where they're being 
yeah. took, I amplified kind of that stance. Um, and so I'll give you, yeah. I'll give you one bear take on that though, is say you hypothetically get a, uh, Henry injury early. They have to go the pass route to compete, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden that team is like three and seven or something mm-hmm. like this, like even like three and six and Tannehill. They bench. just, <laughs> yeah, they just go, they just go Malik Willis the rest of the way. Yeah. Like, you know what they, I mean? They might, like, they might. Yeah. Um, it, it, that, that was the, that's the one thing I've been kind of like hedging Tannehill for. Like I've been kind of in that range. I've been kind of scooping a little Daniel Jones there. I've been scooping a little bit of Baker mm-hmm. in that area. And I've kind of been, yeah, I mean like I have, Traylon is my one, two, three, four, my seventh highest owned wide receiver as of right now. Yeah. Not that, not that total percentage of ownership means shit, but like just for a basis of knowledge there. Um, and I think I've gone the stack route. Like I could, I could pull it up. I think it's three times without looking. I think it's like three times just because okay. I'm like Traylon ceiling in my mind. Like I think like, Forget the conditioning stuff. Forget the coach speak. Forget the whatever. Like, I think he's nasty. Um, But like his ceiling, in my opinion, is like that team is not great. And he gives us the the St. Brown-esque finish from last year. Yeah. With him and Malik Willis just attempting 30 passes a game when they're you know, six games below 500. Now that's probably yep. a, a team that's too good for that to happen in theory, but that's just my, that was my kind of like why I wasn't stacking him, but I was really in on him. Not because I think Tannehill is going to get replaced, but just in as a, as a, as a bear case. Yeah. yeah and this is still a, a nine and a half win total team. Right. So like, it's, right. Exactly. It's, yeah, yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting discussion there. I'm in on Traylon, uh, still buying a dip, all that good stuff. Yeah, and then what? Okay, last one, Antonio Gibson. Where are we at on that? Because it's been a pretty polarizing topic, and he's man, I've seen him go like 108. Yeah, like I've seen him go like like I'm talking like 90, 180p or something like that right now, and then I've seen him drop like 17 spots on that, or like you know. Yeah. So my thought process with him is I will, I'm taking him, um, on very specific instances and it's almost like a, it's like a a blind trust and it's hard to not reach on him when I'm doing this because if he's falling this far, but what is the, what is the theoretical ceiling? It's probably like on the RB, the mid RB2 range, maybe for Gibson, like mm-hmm. a, a, a true ceiling. Um, so where, how do I want to leverage that? Well, I'm, I'm trying to execute zero RB if I'm taking Gibson and I'm trying to wait past ADP and I'm, I'm trying to inch cause I had zero, zero Gibson prior mm-hmm. to this fall. But now Same. is when, yeah, now is when I'm trying to incorporate and I'm trying to do so be like, okay, if he succeeds, what's his theoretical ceiling? How can I input that onto rosters to maximize my upside? Well, I want him as my RB1 or RB2 on zero RB builds. Because if right. he hits that ceiling, I want him. I want the other positions on that roster to be absolutely stacked and yoked to where if he hits ceiling, now I have a complete roster. And it's just the one thing that has to go right. It's crazy that like not that much has changed since last year. 
Like JD McKissick's still there. Like they were willing to let JD McKissick walk. Like this backfield would have looked so different without McKissick, right? Yeah. And they were just like willing to let him go to Buffalo, right? And then all of a sudden he comes back in and it's like, okay, how's this profile that much different than the guy that was going at the one two turn last year? Like where he had this legendary upside, as Crane puts it. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah that outlier potential like how's this profile changed like that much just by drafting brian robinson but then that being said like brian robinson was my second highest exposed running back in the big board drafts before because i just thought he was like that classic like undervalued alabama profile that just comes in ready to work kind of deal yeah instantly comes in with that damian harris josh jacobs like that kind of mold and they just throw him on early down work, but that was prior to knowing the landing spot. So now it becomes, you know, somewhat dicey because what Gibson was perceived to do well, JD McKissick does very well. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So and it's it, also it, the, yeah. it's also like their quarterback just doesn't check down to running backs too. So right. it's like, yeah, so true. <laughs> there's this so weird true. dynamic. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, if, if Gibson hits ceiling, it's really like a, just a, I want him to hit ceiling in the right way type. Right. Deal. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. Yeah. Let's, All right. Uh, yeah. Let's yeah wrap it's it up. nice to do. Yo, it's nice to go. It's nice to go a little bro science hand in the dirt. Uh, yeah. Football guy talk there for a minute, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. Oh, I, it's a nice. Cause you need, you need a little bit of it. It's just that the field is kind of all of that. So it's like, with it. Yeah, yeah. 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 So true. Yo, uh, All right, man. Hit, well, let me yeah. get a quick, a quick Please. little plug here. Please do. I, um, I promised a podcast like a while ago. And what ended up happening was uh, a couple people reached out and pivoted the idea into doing some live streams of these daily drafts that I've been drafting. So we're going to like break down the slate, uh, do a pick them slip, and then, you know, draft two or three of those daily contests on stream. We'll start with uh, baseball because it's wrapping up. And we'll jump into uh, basketball and football as soon as those seasons start. So we'll be, I'll be showing off uh, what I'm actually doing kind of like on a daily basis, but on stream and going to be doing it under the, um, the header, the, the name of the badge bros. So it's three other of the highly experienced badge players playing these daily contests on underdog. And we're going to draft some together, talk a little shop and just kind of give like breakdown like think um like what uh i don't want to plug any competitors but like the, what the <laughs> what the live before lock kind of um vibe is where they do you know before the dfs slate starts you know a couple yeah. a 30 minute breakdown of the upcoming slate and then but then we'll actually not build lineups on stream we'll we'll draft a couple so go ahead and follow that one on youtube the badge bros badge bros on youtube the badge bros on twitter that's awesome, man. Uh, I look forward to seeing that. I want to see kind of. Uh, you'll the, be coming on. We'll be. We'll ah, do a couple. Yeah, yeah we'll do. Uh, we'll do week one or week two of uh, daily football together for sure. That's awesome, dude. Look forward to that. Thanks again for coming on, man. This has been an absolute blast. Uh, if you don't know him by now, you should. His name is John Warner. You can find him on Twitter at roto underscore run and go check out the Badge Bros for sure. John, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you again, OWS fam. Like always, this will be live Friday mornings between 7 and 9 Eastern. You can find it on the normal OWS stream free to the masses. 
If you haven't yet, check out the Best Ball Plus subscription service over at oneweekseason.com. That is only $1 to get access to everything that we are putting out this season with more to come. Look for my courses. I kind of plugged that a little bit earlier. Uh, Those will be hopefully hitting the streets here this coming Monday. So look for those in the marketplace. I am Hilo. You can find me on Twitter, HiloFF. And with that, we will see you in the draft lobbies. Peace.